0: Grab your Bibles and open up to the book of James. The series is entitled Faith in the Fire. The sermon is called Anger Management. Anger Management. We will face trials in this life. And one of the outcomes of a trial, one of the temptations during a trial is a battle with anger and when life gets bumpy and hard we can't let anger take the wheel because things will only get worse i read of a disgruntled customer this week who ate a 200 hundred dollar dinner at a sushi restaurant then got mad and then got even check it out check out what he did a person came in he was upset had an argument with another patron and uh, was asked to leave the restaurant, left the restaurant, and came back with about a 13-foot python snake, put it into the middle of the restaurant, and basically walked out, scaring everybody inside. When you talked to him, what did he say? Just that he was mad, and that uh, he felt that was the only way he could get even. The fire department and animal control (laughs) rushed to the restaurant. They were able to corner the snake and get it inside a box. Who does that? (laughs) I don't get mad. I can even beat my 13-foot-long python. Ah! All these people running out of the restaurant. Now, I hear about guys like that, and then I tell myself, I'm so glad that I don't struggle with anger like that man. I would never do something like that. But let's be honest. We all struggle with anger in different ways. We all need God's help with our anger. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It's in you. And it wants to come out. And God needs to help us with our anger. We're going to learn how God can help us with our anger this morning. What is it? Who is it that's making you angry right now? What's prompting you or pressuring you to unleash that anger? To shoot the fiery arrows in all directions. We're going to learn how to control our anger this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is slow to anger. Teach us to be like you. As you have been slow to anger towards us, help us to reflect that same love to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the book of James. We're in chapter 1. Hey, a minute I thought we were in chapter 2 on Good Friday and Easter. Yeah, we jumped ahead, now we're jumping back. Linear people are going to hate me for doing that. Don't worry, we're going to cover every verse. But we're going back to chapter 1, and we are going to be, verse 19. Here's what it says. Know this, my beloved brothers. So it's written to Christians. Let every person, it's written to you, it's written to If you're a human being, raise your hand up right now. Any human beings in the room? Wonderful. Some of you are mutants. Hands didn't go up. (laughs) Whoops. Every person, let them be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When life gets hard, we have to be quick to listen. Jot that down. We have to be quick to listen. That will be a special challenge when you go through a trial because when things get hard, we turn inward and we listen to ourselves. We hear all of the noise that's in our soul, our fear, our hurt, our doubt, and all of that noise drowns out what God is trying to tell us in our trial. We have to be quick to listen. Hey, when, when the pain comes into your life, are you an incredible listener? Do your ears get bigger or smaller when your life gets harder? God wants you, God wants me to be quick to, to listen. We have to be careful. Do you know that if we don't listen, if we shut down our ears, if our ears shrink, that's a symptom that pride has taken root within us. Uh, Pride is expressed in small ears. It takes humility to listen because you're admitting that you need to hear what someone else is going to tell you. It takes a humble person to open up the ears and say, hey, can you give me some advice on this? Can you help me? It takes humility to do that. And the person who's not listening is really letting pride take over. The proud person's ears get smaller when life gets hard. The humble person's ears get bigger when life gets hard. How are you doing with that? It says in verse uh, 21, in the tail end, it says we are supposed to receive with meekness. That word is humility. You're low, you're humble. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Uh, There's a contrast here. James does this throughout his book. There's the proud person who shuts their ears, listens to themselves, and makes things worse. Then there's the humble person who opens wide their ears, hears what's being said, and they get through the trial. We're supposed to be quick to listen. We're supposed to have big ears. Check this out. This is a famous movie character who has big ears. Look at that. Who is that? Dumbo! Dumbo didn't like his big ears when he was first born. Then he learned how to fly with them. It's pretty sweet. Here's a, a picture of somebody who's not listening all that well. Maybe in your home you've seen that look before. <laughs> how are you doing when things get tough? Are you like flopping out of those huge ears and saying, I need, to, I need people to talk to me about this? Or are you just going, la, 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 listening to you, to God, to anybody? How are you doing at being quick? To listen, have big ears. Jot this down for God's word. Have big ears for God's word. It says in verse 21 with meekness, uh, receive the implanted word. So it talks about God's word, which elsewhere we know this is the truth of Christ. We know this is the revealed truth about Christ. So we're receiving the truth of Christ, and it's describing it here as if it's a seed that's falling upon the soil of your heart. Your faith is like a seed received into the ground of your heart and it needs to go deep within and it needs to come alive it needs to sprout roots and then it needs to come up above the soil it needs to show that there's life through the word in your heart do you know that this is the way that we're saved by receiving god's word and if your heart is like concrete and god's word bounces off of the soil of your heart you can't even get saved You have to receive the truth about Christ in your heart to come to life spiritually. Then you have to keep receiving that truth to grow in your faith. What kind of soil is it that the Word is encountering? There's like a lot of like soil planting seed imagery going on here. And it helps us to figure out how we're supposed to relate to God's Word. How many of you planned to do some outside yard work yesterday and then it got ruined by the spring blizzard? <laughs> were you planning to be outside? My daughter's softball league had a uh, field work day yesterday. So for 3 hours we were outside working on the fields. And by working on the fields I mean grabbing the tarps that were flying away and covering up all of the dirt because they didn't want to put it on the fields yet. It was madness. Sunny one moment, blizzard the next. People were running all around and we didn't get much done. This is about the time of the year when Lauren and I go out to our backyard and we get the, the, uh, the uh, soil ready for our garden. Like three or four years ago, we started a garden and uh, one of the people from Harvest came over and he helped us out with that. And he said, hey, don't expect much your first year. And sure enough, the garden bombed. And we were like, what happened? He's like, well, the soil's not ready yet. Second year, garden went better. Third year, fourth year, garden's going even better. But we know now what we have to do. We have to get out there, right, you got to dig up the dirt, you got to till it all up, loosen the soil. We also know that we have to put some things in the dirt, uh, like peat moss. Why? Because it ab- absorbs the water. And then we also have to pour some gypsum down in there. Why? Well, because that creates a chemical reaction that softens the clay. you also got to dump some old coffee grounds in there. Why? Because worms love coffee. Did you know that? Worms love coffee. They smell it and they, they travel to get there and then they drink the, or eat the coffee and then they're like, Nyeh. they dig it all up for the roots and leave nutrients in the soil. We know that now. Hey, what kind of soil is in your heart? How receptive are you? How ready are you to hear God's word? Especially when you don't feel like listening. When things are going wrong, When you're afraid, does the seed just bounce off like sheet metal, or does it get inside? How good of a listener are you when things get tough? Hey, is your Bible dusty? Do you need to open it back up and come up with a goal? What are you reading? Where are you reading? When's the last time you got in here and searched the scripture? Are you getting to church? Are you humbling yourself and allowing someone to share a message with you each week, trusting that God will speak to you. If you're not coming to church, if you're not on your word throughout the week, your ears are closed. You're not listening to God. We have to be quick to listen and have big ears for God's word. We have to devour God's word in private and in public, especially when we don't feel like it. Jot this down, we also have to have big ears for wise advice. You can fill that in, for wise advice. So, There are areas in the scripture that are black and white. If God's word says it, I must do it. If God's word forbids it, I must not do it. Black and white. But then there are like gray areas where we're not quite sure how am I supposed to do this or say this or, you know, we're not quite sure. So that's where we have to rely on godly advice from people. And uh, how are you doing at gaining wisdom? How are you doing at asking people for advice, especially in the areas of your life that you're really afraid about? Um, the Bible, in the, the book of Proverbs, it just goes on and on about how we're supposed to seek wisdom. It says we're supposed to seek it like silver. We're supposed to search for it as for hidden treasure. Put $500 worth of gold in your house somewhere and tell your kids to find it. Oh, they'll find it. They will tear, if we put Twizzlers somewhere in our house, our kids will find it. They will leave no stone unturned in their search. That should be our search for wisdom. We should be asking people for wise advice. Um, Are you good at taking advice? And as you age, are you getting even better at taking advice? In Ecclesiastes 4.13, it says this, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. So, sophomore in high school, poor, listening to advice, better than old, rich, wise king whose ears are shut. That's what the Bible says. And it's sad. The older we get, the less likely we are to listen to people. We think, oh, we've heard that before. Who are you to tell me? I know better than that. We stop listening. It also is difficult when somebody asks for advice, and then you, you try and help them, and, uh, and they just don't want to hear it. And then they're, they're going to walk down a foolish path, and everybody around them is telling them, hey, this isn't the best, Financial or relational decision, and um, and they won't hear it. And then when things don't go well, they spiritualize their foolishness, right? So before they make a foolish decision, they say, "Well, I left it with God." Okay, what does that even mean? Uh, well, I prayed about it and I have peace. Yeah, but prayer gives you permission to do nothing. You see, and these people over here who you respect and love and know are telling you that this sounds like an unwise choice, and you're not listening to them. You see, we have to get good at hearing advice. Uh, there was a guy in our church a while ago um, and uh, he had to make a big choice, lost his job and had like a month or two to, to you know, figure out what to do. So stress, pressure, fear, and uh, this job opportunity came through and he just so happened to be in a leader small group with us and so he had like 10 or 12 guys, you know, all of them leaders, pastors in our church and he's like, hey, what do you guys think? And every man in that room said, doesn't sound like a good idea. Yellow light, red light. But then he left and he started telling other people and he found one friend who said it sounds like a good idea. So he clung to that. Oh, my friend over here said it's a good idea. So he ran after it. And we're like, uh. And he put so much effort and energy trying to chase that job down. You know what? They never even called him back for an interview. And then he had to come back to that group and we're like, how'd it go? They didn't even call me back. He said, hey man, maybe God wants you to learn how to take advice. All of us told you, and you wouldn't listen to us. Maybe you need to learn to take advice. We all need to learn that. We value feedback in this church. Harvest is a church where we try and always provide feedback for every ministry. We're always trying to listen and learn and grow. That starts at the elder level. You know, I think if you sat in on an elders meeting, I think you would be stunned at how frequently our elders ask for advice from other guys. Guys, come down there like, yeah, I spent hours with this person, and you know, here's kind of where we got, but I need help. What do you guys think we should do from this point forward? Uh, the level of deference and, and humility, I think, would move you. Our elders seriously are good at seeking advice from one another regularly. And we want that to be the spirit of Christ throughout our church. We don't want to feel like the higher up you get in leadership, the smaller your ears get. And no one's going to tell me what to do. No, the opposite of that is true. It's a mark of maturity to have ears wide open for advice. You know, the guy who's always going, "Oh, I don't, my doctor told me this, I don't care, he, what does he know? My financial advisor told me, I don't care, I'm just going to wing it. That's not a mature man. That's an immature man who doesn't know how to receive feedback or advice. His ears are small. Let me just challenge you, the older you get, the bigger your ears should be. We should want to be so receptive to God's Word. We should want to be... It's so sad when people have been in their, in, in church all their lives and they, they come Sunday morning assuming they know everything and they're just listening for a little itty-bitty tidbit of something they haven't heard before. That's pride. That's pride that's deafening you to the voice of God. And shame on us when we think we've heard it all. Because that's the opposite of true Christian humility and maturity. We have to be quick to listen to God's word and for advice. Jot this down. We then have to be slow to speak. It says, it says my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. So our words towards each other should be so carefully chosen. We all know the damage that words can cause. James lays out six major areas in his book that test and try your faith. You know, there's others that we're not covering today. You know, there's others like loving people and money, and there's there's, uh, there's time. But today we're talking about the words we use that can do damage to the souls of those we love. We're talking about conflict and what we say to people when we're upset. And we have to be slow to speak, otherwise we will damage people. When, when the pressure comes and when life gets hard, unfortunately, our verbal filter gets thinner and thinner and thinner. And the angrier we get, the quicker we are to launch those words out of our mouth. Am I right? Maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> Thank you. It gets harder to hold the words back when we're stressed or afraid or anxious. So we have to be slow to speak. Proverbs 13.3 says this, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. So standing at the guard of your own lips is standing at the guard of your own life, as if death itself wants to emerge from behind your teeth. We're supposed to guard our lips uh, like, like a warden guards a prison. Like you're standing there with the keys and that, that gate is slammed shut. And, and those words can clamor all they want. They're not getting out. We're supposed to guard our lips. There's a, there's a gang of wild words that wants to break loose from your heart. And if you let them out, they'll ransack your whole life. Wow, how careful we have to be with our words. We have to be slow To speak. I know there are some people in here who are thinking, yeah, I I don't talk very much. I'm an introvert. And when I get angry, I don't say much at all. Hey, listen. There are a lot of angry introverts in this room. I'm telling you. There are a lot of introverts. And maybe you don't say much when you're mad. But, oh, you send a message. I'm not going to say anything to her. I'm upset. I'm just going to send her a copy of Dante's Inferno and let her figure it out. (laughs) There are passive-aggressive ways that you can say how you feel. And we have to be careful how we express this anger. We have to be slow to speak. This applies to every area of our lives. You can jot this down. This is an extra little note here. But how are you doing it? being slow to speak towards your spouse and your kids? In your home, how are you doing it? carefully choosing your words and your tone and your timing, how thick are the bars that you have installed between your voice. And See, what's sad is that the people who we love the most, like our kids, often hear the worst things from our lips. And the man or woman who we have stood before and promised our lives to often gets the worst of our language. And it shouldn't be that way. They should get the best, the most courtesy, How are you doing in your home with talking to each other? Spouses, how are you doing with how you talk to each other? This may surprise you. Lauren and I are going on 16 years of marriage this summer. Is that awesome? And uh, there have been times throughout that 16 years where we have disagreed. I kind of expected a gasp. You can gasp if you want to. Go ahead. Yeah, more than once. Yeah, there have been conversations where we didn't agree. And and the temperature of those conversations has gotten too hot. And then the next day, we've we've had to come back together and we've had to sit down and say, let's do that one over. Because we didn't do so well on that topic. There have even been times where it's gotten so hot, we've had to sit down and say, let's not talk to each other that way. What were we thinking? And we've had to reestablish the guardrails of where we will go in conversations. Have you had that conversation with your spouse? Lauren and I don't always agree on everything, but we always agree on vocabulary and volume. Same page when it comes to that. And we want to fight fair. So we'll humble ourselves and we'll say, "Let's do that one over and we keep those guardrails up. Maybe you have to have that conversation together. Maybe, maybe you have to say, one of you has to start it. Maybe you have to say, hey, I just want you to know, I am never going to talk to you that way again, ever. Maybe you need to be the first one to say it. That's humility. We have to be slow to speak. Hey, jot this down. How are you doing with your boss and your coworkers? Are you slow to speak at work? Have you honestly... Slipped into the pattern of quickly criticizing the way things are done? Have you allowed the frustration in your heart to build up and to be expressed through slander or gossip? Um, have you gotten into the habit of just, you're thinking it, you're saying it. I'm the truth teller around this office, and they'll know how I feel. I mean, is the filter getting thinner or thicker? because of your love for Christ. See, our ears should be getting bigger and our filter should be getting thicker. The more we know God, the more we want to be a light in the world, the more carefully we should be choosing our words. And it, It's sad. It feels like the older people get sometimes, the more they're like, hey, you know what? I've lived a lot of years and it's time to tell the world the way I see it. And the filter gets thinner and they think that's a mark of maturity. Like when you get to my... Stage in life, you just get to say it like it is. That's immaturity. That's going backwards in your faith growth because the righteous person is slow to speak. How are you doing at work? Do you need to start reining in? Do you need to slam that bar, that gate shut and start preventing sinful things from coming out of your mouth? How are you doing with friends and family? You can jot that down. Again, it's the people who know us the most who can push those buttons faster. Do you have that relative? And oh, my, they know how to just push that button. And I'm just so filled. With but you know what? It's their fault. I don't feel that way about anybody else. It's her fault. Um, our response is always our responsibility. They didn't put that anger in our heart. They dug down and found it. And some of them are awfully good at finding it. But now that they have uncovered it, this is a chance for you to display righteousness and love. How are you doing with your friends and your family? How are you doing with your word choice and your patience? Keeping cool. And the last little sub-point here is God. How are you doing being slow to speak to God? This is a huge moment here for some of you. You see, because we often get mad at God. Maybe you're mad at God. And maybe you have thought some things or felt some things or said some things about God that you know are not true. And in your anger, you have rashly spoken things of a holy God that are insulting. And maybe it's time to Put those words back where they came from. Not a good place. Anger can display lack of faith. Do you know that? Your anger can alert others to your lack of faith. And if you follow the the lava all the way back to the source, what you may find there is you're believing a lie. That God is not doing a good job of taking care of you. That he's not in control of everybody who is upsetting you. That lie is what you use to justify all of your anger. And it is a lie because God is taking perfect care of your life right now and the globe. And the moment you accept and believe that and realize you have never, ever once had a justifiable reason to be angry with God, then you can embrace that he has a plan and he's hard at work, he's holding everything securely. You don't have to get so upset. Be slow to speak. We have to be quick to listen. And jot this down, we have to be slow to anger. We have to be slow to anger. It gives us a reason here because man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So reading on here in verse 20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, it says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. There's a contrast here. There's, there's something that is not soil, that is not producing anything. And then there's the seed of the word of God that comes into some soil and it's producing life. Two hearts. And the heart that is filled with anger is usually not filled with faith. If your anger is growing, your faith is usually shrinking. The more your anger multiplies, the more your faith shrinks. There is such a thing as righteous anger. Almost always there is something at the heart of the anger that that is righteous. A law has been broken, a person has been violated, a a rule is being neglected, a person is being overlooked. But then we use that to justify man's anger, which means we're expressing it or experiencing it in a sinful way. The Bible here warns us against that. It says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In verse 21, it says, therefore, put away all filthiness. Uh, That's a graphic way, in the Greek, a graphic way of saying we're supposed to cast off the anger, the sin, the filthiness that comes along uh, with our temper. So imagine you, you go to your hamper, and imagine you start digging in that hamper all the way to the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. I mean past last week's socks, and all the way to the bottom. And imagine if you dig out... Your high school gym uniform. And it's been in there for how many years? I don't need to know, but you know. And it's just been sitting there. And it's filthy. And it smells bad. And imagine if you put that on and you go out to relive the glory days. And then when you get out in public, people are like, man, that's filthy. And they're like, phew, you! That thing stinks. That's you in your anger. It's as if you're clothed in a filthy garment and you look bad and you smell bad and everyone sees it but you. That's me when I let my kids have it. I look bad. I smell bad. It's filthy. The truth is nobody wakes up wearing humility. You've got to put it on every day. Too often we wake up wearing our anger. We need to take it off and throw it back in the hamper. That's what the Bible says we have to do. Cast it off. It's filthy. It says also, cast away the filthiness and rampant wickedness. Your anger will lead you into sin, and it'll keep growing. And then it says, receive with meekness, humility, the implanted word, the truth of Christ, about Christ, which is able to save your souls. Be slow to anger, not quick to anger. Put off the filthy garment. Don't put it on. Do you know some professional athletes struggle with anger? Have you heard of that before? They do. I've got proof. Check it out. This is a professional athlete struggling with his anger. Who is that? Yeah, Mike Tyson. And he got mad because Evander Holyfield headbutted him. So what did he do? (laughs) He took a bite out of crime. I mean, he just bit him twice on the ear. All right, here's the next one. Who's this? That's Nolan Ryan versus Robin Ventura. Bad day for Sox fans like me. Because Robin Ventura got put in a headlock and then got popped a few times on the nose, he charged them out. Here's another one. This is uh and Sue. Yeah, he struggles with his anger. He just started stomping people. Happened a few times. They find him. Didn't get better. Hey, when when we let our anger take over, uh, we look as foolish as them. We're filthy. We smell bad. We look bad. So we have to be slow to anger. Now, when you hear the word slow, you're like, all right, how long do I have to wait? Because my boss is asking for it. I've waited a year. Is that long enough? All right, I'll wait two, three years. Now he's going to get it. No, it's not the duration that's the point. You actually have to watch out for that because we can tell ourselves that we have held it back for so long Then we take pride in that restraint and then we just unleash on them. That's that's a sinful pattern. The point of the delay is you're not picking harsher words. You're not picking a better strike. You're picking softer words, nicer tone, better timing, more grace. That's what you're doing with this time. And we have to be slow to anger. Jot this down. This will help us. We have to define the root uh, because we don't want the anger of man... To take over so what's the root we have to follow it back upstream and figure out where we went wrong where someone else went wrong again usually when you get angry there is something there that can be dealt with uh, there might be something in the other person's heart that you can help them see there might be something in your own heart like an idol that has been surfaced and something that you are way too uh, protective over but anger gives us tremendous energy and focus and it can help us to grow spiritually can help others to grow spiritually. So what is the valid concern? What is the root? And how do I make sure I don't cross over into sinful anger because of it? Um, sometimes, many times, it's other people that are getting on our nerves. And I love what Paul Tripp says about that. He says, none of us ever gets to be in a relationship with a, with a finished person. That's true. None of us ever gets to be in a relationship with a finished person. Meaning there will always be something in the other person's life to get you upset. But if you're humble enough to admit it, you are not finished yet. Which means all those around you will always have an excuse to be upset with you if they fixate on it. Together, if humbly, we talk about what's getting on our nerves, what's weighing us down, what what's frustrating us, then we can grow. But there has to be humility to admit, you know what? Thanks for coming to me with this. I, I'm a work in progress. I'm trying to grow bigger ears here, so just tell me what's on your mind. There has to be humility to receive it. And there has to be grace to share it. You can't go in there with a sledgehammer and let the person have it and think that will help. Define the root. Think of many people in the Bible who got angry, righteous anger, sinful anger. Moses, he wanted to free God's people, and he saw it, Egyptian, Egyptian who was hurting an Israelite. What did he do? He sprang into action and he killed the Egyptian and he buried him in the sand. Moses, secret agent, killing the Egyptians one at a time. Was he right to be angry? Yeah. Did he express it righteously? No. What about Jonah, sitting there pouting outside of Nineveh? They all repented and now God's going to forgive them. Keep in mind, Nineveh would eventually, you know, the Assyrians, they would come in and destroy Israel. So it would be the equivalent if like ISIS repented and we're all like, yeah, right. I don't believe it. You're going to get off the hook that easily? There was suspicion. So Jonah was right to feel wary over what's going on there, yet, yet, he expressed his anger sinfully and asked God to kill him. He's melodramatic. Just kill me. So upset. What about Cain and Abel? God looked with favor on Abel's offering and Cain got envious and he let it eat him alive until finally he killed his brother, the first murder in all of history. And Cain let his anger take over. He should have looked at his own deeds. He should have pleased God. He could have used that to come closer to the Lord. Define the root. What is it that's getting you upset? Then jot this down, express it carefully. Be so cautious and kind because people are breakable and you don't want to hurt them. Uh, Use the energy of anger to seek God. Use that to humble yourself. Take time to collect your thoughts. Then drive towards a gracious expression of that anger. Uh, Another way to put it is this. Put your anger to work for Christ. Use all of that energy, but put it to work for Christ. Build people up, don't break them down. And this is true at our church. We aspire to be a church that's filled with people who manage their anger wisely. And there will be conflict, there has been conflict, where people get upset about something or they're, you know, they're not happy with a leader in our church and then we have to bring them together, sit them down and say, all right, let's sort through this mess. And it's been awesome when people have humbly come in and they've shared their concerns with grace, and then the other person has received it, responded, and relationships became stronger than ever. It's been amazing to see that. But sadly, there are other times when people get hurt and their ears shut and they will not hear anything, and they won't even meet to talk through things, and relationships grow cold and brittle. And our church hurts because of it. At church, we have to understand that resolving conflict will cost us something. And it's not okay with God for us to just say, nope, not interested. We have to be slow to anger. We have to define the root and express it so carefully. And I love how this ends here. It says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Wow. How redemptive is that? Humbly listening to the truth about Christ is what saves us. But the tense in the Greek here is not just has saved us, but is saving us. Meaning right now when we struggle with anger, when we, when we fall into a trap of sin, and then we receive the truth about Christ in, He comes to our aid. And He saves us again from ourselves. Hey, I don't know about you, but that's great news. I'm the first to admit that I need God to help me with my anger. I need God to help me. And I wonder if you'll humbly admit that too. Because if we're slow to anger, if we're slow to speak, if we're quick to listen, our church will grow in maturity. Let me challenge you on three things here as we close. First of all, if you want God to cool your volcanic heart... It begins when you believe that God is in total control over everything and everyone you are upset about. Will you say that to him? Will you say, God, I believe you are in total control over everything and everyone I am upset about? That's where it begins. Then will you admit that your anger usually makes things worse, not better? Will you admit that? Will you admit that anger is not your friend? That it has made things worse? And then will you discipline yourself to put your anger to work for Christ? God, help me to use this energy, knowing you're with me, to accomplish good, to leave people better than I found them. I think if you commit to those three things, I commit to those three things. God's going to help me, whatever trial I'm going through, to not let anger grab the wheel and drive me over the cliff. I want to give you a chance to pray right now and to ask the Lord to help you with your anger. Let's go to the Lord right now and let's pray to Him. Father, we do come into Your presence humbly, with our ears open wide, asking you to help us to be like you, slow to anger. May we remember your kindness towards us, and may we show that kindness towards others. Thank you, O Father, that you could have poured out your wrath upon us forever, and you would have been righteous in doing so. Yet, the Lord Jesus Christ took the anger of God upon himself so that we don't need to experience it ever again. Help us to bring our anger to the cross. Help us to place it in your, at your feet. Help us, Lord, to release those who have harmed us. Help us, Lord, to be humble and meek, especially when we're afraid and angry. We pray that as you go to work in our hearts, showing that you are alive in us, we pray that others would see that God is helping. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.